0: Hey, man, how's it going, y'all? Welcome to the show. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Forgot to turn on the news. You know, just in case somebody shoots something or blows it up or something like that. And, you know, on the off chance, CNN covers it in a timely fashion. Oh, here we are. I got Fox and Friends now. Oh, outnumbered. Ah, the news. Hey, yeah, I'm Scott. My show's about the news, basically. Um, I'm a libertarian. I hate the government a lot. But um, most I focus on the wars and the cops. Mostly the wars, somewhat the cops. Mm. There are other libertarians who cover the other angles. I guess we do some central banking and stuff on here, too, because uh, it's important for people to know how bad it is. Uh, today is the 20th, let me write that on my piece of paper here, 20th. Hey, um, so, uh, in about an hour, we're gonna have, uh, the great Kelly B. Vallejos on the show to talk about the war in Afghanistan. Uh, well, it's a problematic problem, the war in Afghanistan, you see. Uh, I know we've won that war for 15 years straight now, but... Still for some reason something's wrong. I don't I'm not sure what I just can't figure it out. No one in the government can figure it out either. They just don't know what to do to win that war. Uh anyway. Oh people are dying there in huge numbers, that's the day. It's not just a stupid thing, it's a stupid, deadly, horrible freaking thing. The war in Afghanistan. Kelly Playhouse. And, um, my, uh, yeah, I got a couple more invites out. I don't know if we're going to hear back from them or not. But I got plenty of news to cover for you, anyway. With or without more guests. Uh, eh. hmm. I do have lots of things on my list here. I guess the first thing to talk about. Is nothing surprising, but it's instructive, right? Wouldn't you say that this is instructive? Israeli defense minister. If I had to choose between Iran and ISIS, I'd choose ISIS. Huh. I feel instructed, you know, just even by the headline. There you go. Mashi Dialon Yalon Yalon. I don't know how to pronounce Yalon Yalon. Uh, Defense Minister Moshi Yalan made a bold statement. He would choose ISIS. As uh, someone pointed out to me on Twitter yesterday, hold on now, this is not a hypothetical question. And I think that, eh, I think people maybe assume too much. Um, Some people assume too much uh, direct Israeli complicity in backing the Islamic State. Not that I can disprove it or anything. Hell, for all I know, um, you know, I do you know, I'm giving them whatever they need. I haven't seen any evidence of that. And I think it's unnecessary. You know, um, just like in that clip that uh, plays at the top of the show every day, in Hillary Clinton's own words, supporting the opposition to Assad is supporting Al Qaeda. Even if it's not directly supporting al-Qaeda, it's sure as hell helping to create the space for them to grow. It's the same thing with the Islamic State. It's in the DIA memos. Well, geez, if this keeps going on, we're going to end up with an Islamic State. And that's what our allies want. And that's the mission we're on. So if you were the Likud, you would say, great, yeah, no, America's taking care of it for us. Them and the Saudis and the Qataris and the Turks. And, yes, it's absolutely uh, proven a 100 times over that uh, the Israelis have been providing aid and comfort to the al-Nusra front. I just haven't seen it to the Islamic State. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. I'm not debunking it or disproving it. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. And, you know what? Honestly, i got to say, whenever I think... But, geez, if you were the Israelis, why would you even bother doing that? Because it's already being done the other way or whatever. I'm always wrong, right? Like, anytime I think that something is too stupid or crazy for the Israelis to be doing, no, they're doing it. Amazing. Turns out, eh, yeah, I underestimated their willingness to just act contrary to their own interests. It's unbelievable. But, anyway, uh, the point is the same. And it's the same as you already knew. As uh, Michael Oren told the Jerusalem Post, we wanted Assad gone from the beginning of this thing. In fact, um, I talked about this during one of the, I guess, the last Republican debate. uh, Ted Cruz said, I agree with Israel that we should back off the whole regime change against Assad thing. And some neocons on Twitter, with no sense of irony whatsoever, said that's not true, Ted Cruz. You do not stand with Israel on that and here's the proof and then they linked to this guy i forgot I forget who it was I shouldn't say they it was a particular neocon um I think from Winnep Noah Rothman is who it was, I think on Twitter the guy I follow on twitter um Anyway, and he tweeted out a letter from Michael Oren to the Wall Street Journal. Michael Oren, the American-born but uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States. And Michael Oren, the letter that the guy linked to, apparently was the second letter that Oren had written to the Wall Street Journal. And in it, he insists that in their news stories, they stop characterizing the Israeli government as cautious about regime change. No, they are not worried about what comes next uh n- certainly not worried enough to oppose getting rid of or even to be worried about uh what might happen once they get rid of Assad he corrects them and then of course um i mentioned the uh, michael orin statement to uh the jerusalem post the article is um we wanted israel wanted assad gone from the beginning where he says in in the phrase in that article is we prefer these bad guys to those bad guys because those bad guys are backed by Iran again he's talking about Assad and Hezbollah and then um I love this one and I haven't played it uh you know recently enough here here's Michael Oren explaining to Jeffrey Goldberg at the Aspen Fancy Pants Institute in uh, I believe late July or maybe very early August, 2014, just after the fall of Mosul, the invasion and conquering of Western Iraq by the Islamic State. This is Michael Oren, uh, Israeli, oh, at that time just barely former Israeli ambassador to the United States, and he's talking with Corporal Goldberg, the commis, Israel's commissar in America's media, uh, deciding you know who's allowed to write what and who's an anti-Semite if they oppose the Likud. We have to choose the lesser of evils here. The lesser evil is the Sunnis over the Shiites. It's an evil, believe me. It's a terrible evil. Again, they've just taken out 700 to former Iraqi soldiers and shot them in a field. But who are they, who are they fighting against? They're fighting against the, against the proxy with Iran that's complicit in the murder of 160,000 people in Syria. You can just you know, do the math. And again, one side is armed with suicide bombers and rockets. The other side has access to military nuclear capabilities. So from Israel's perspective, um, you know, if someone's got if if, if there's got to be an evil that's going to prevail, you know, let let the the Sunni evil prevail. Okay, and so you see right there two explicit references to the Islamic State. The first one is they just massacred seventeen hundred soldiers in the field. That was the Islamic State did that to the Iraqi army in the invasion that had just taken place a couple of weeks ago. When the caliphate was declared and uh, Mosul was sacked. And then the second one is, yeah, and they have suicide bombers, et cetera. So he's not just saying, oh, the mythical moderates who one day, you know, are going to be so nice or some nonsense. Uh, explicitly referring to al-Qaeda. And then for two reasons that are both lies. That Assad is responsible for every death in the war, even though half of the deaths are his army. And the second, because Iran has nuclear weapons and they could give them to Hezbollah or Assad. Which is a complete joke. It doesn't even qualify as a lie. It's so stupid. Hey, I'll Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by Audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show, you can get your first audio book for free. Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, y'all. Welcome back. I'm Scott. It's my show. Scott Horton show. Yeah. Um, oh, here's the correction uh, sent by uh, Adam by email here. Um I mentioned the attack in Burkina Faso the other day and said, oh, I guess that must have been jihadists from up in Mali, but that was only because I was bluffing because I hadn't read it and didn't know it. And Adam sent this correction. No, it was Boko Haram that did it, which same damn difference, but as long as we're clarifying, let's be clear, Uh, same difference in terms of uh, the backdraft American responsibility for the problem. Not that they created Boko Haram just that they made them so much worse than they already were. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's important to make corrections when I say wrong things. Um, so again, Washington Post and also Ynet News, the defense minister of Israel has come out and blatantly said, in choice between Iran and ISIS, I prefer ISIS. And it's clear. Why? Because, uh, you know, Iran is a real state. Syria, at least, was a real state. Hezbollah, eh, not so much, but they are a very professional militia with their act together. And they've been around for 30 years now and 35 or something. And they, they're a pseudo-state and right on Israel's northern border. And uh so, you know, and he claims here the way he spins it is, and plus, the Americans are taking care of it. He criticized the Russians, says they thought they'd get to the Euphrates River in three months, noting that they're uh, not meeting their goals. But then he says, their achievements in the fight against ISIS led by the U.S., they're suffering serious defeats in Iraq and Syria, and they'll eventually be defeated, blah, blah, blah. So that's part of his spin. I'll I'll admit that in his favor that he's saying that, you know, the reality is ISIS is doomed anyway. Iran's going to be here and we're going to still have to deal with them and their allies and whatever. But what threat is Iran to Israel? They can't pretend it's a nuclear threat anymore. uh, Because even though it was ridiculous nonsense all along that Iran's safeguarded Civilian nuclear program was a weapons threat to Israel. At least now cold water's been poured all over that stupid lie. It'd fall, it, it would fall much flatter now. Unless, you know, until they come up with some more uh, forged evidence of Iran cheating or whatever it is. But uh, Tehran, Yalan said, is a rogue regime with designs on regional hegemony. Hezbollah is Iran's proxy with the ability to declare war. They have terror infrastructure in place in five continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, and both North and South America. What a crock. (laughs) That's so funny. And anyway, regional hegemony. This was uh, Daniel Larison's piece at the American Conservative uh, yesterday, too. He's quoting Marco Rubio, crying about how, oh, lifting the sanctions and, and letting Iran have a little bit of their own money back. Watch every uh, conservative pundit in America pretend that's some kind of welfare or bribe or whatever. But uh, Marco Rubio says, this is the greatest thing that anyone has ever done to enhance the power and influence of Iran. Uh, really? That's funny. And Larison just basically dispenses with that immediately. No, America's invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan and regime change against the Taliban and Saddam Hussein. That's the greatest thing anybody ever did for the Ayatollah, dude. And George W. Bush did them both. And not only did he overthrow Saddam, but he stayed. He kept the American government there. He took the side, not just of the Shia, but of the Dawah Party and the Supreme Council for Islamic Revolution in Iraq and their border court death squads, and he helped them fight a civil war for eight years that killed a million people, that destroyed an entire society. If not, an entire civilization, in a sense. I mean, it's certainly an entirely different thing now than it was, isn't it? With every last ethnic and religious minority that existed in old Iraq destroyed. And, I don't know, three-fifths of the reason America did it is because that's what Israel wanted. Everybody knows that. Why did Bill Crystal and Richard Pearl, the axis of the neocons, out and in government, why is it that they wanted rid of Saddam? Because that's what Israel wanted. Why the neoconservative obsession with Saddam? Because that's what Israel wanted. That's what Benjamin Netanyahu wanted. And Ariel Sharon, too, but Netanyahu more than anyone else. Going back to nineteen ninety six and the clean break. Going back to nineteen ninety one and the end of the first Gulf War. And yeah, there's just no question about it. Hell Netanyahu came to the United States and testified before Congress. You gotta do this. Uh, you look at Doug Fife and and the people that lied us into war, I mean, Douglas Fife is a law has a law firm in the West Bank. <laughs> You know, Feith and Zell, his law partner, is a West Bank settler. And that's who they represent in court in Israel. The settlers. And that's who lied us into war. And um, if you want to know all about it, Walton Mearsheimer, in their original paper, it was expanded into a book. But if you read the Israel lobby and U.S. foreign policy, that is the definitive account of the Likud party in Israel and their Agents of influence in the US, they're cyanims and buddies and maybe some spies, but mostly just, you know, their uh ideological acolytes. They're the ones who did it. And then they want to cry and complain and say, Oh no, Iran is so much more powerful than they used to be. Uh really Um and you know what? Maybe you're young and you don't know all these things. So here's what you do. Uh, well, I guess here's the best thing to do is, for starters, is type in my name and 16 articles. Scott Horton, 16 articles. They're not by me. They're by others. And there's 16 really good ones about the neocons. Dan San. It was a bunch of tweets by me at one point, and Dan Sanchez made a little Storify kind of a thing out of it. Anyway, it's a ton of great links. And in fact, if you want to do better than that, then um, you can go to Tom Woods. I think his most recent interview of me is about how they lied us into Iraq. And at the bottom, there's probably 20 links to the proof for all of my assertions in the interview, if you want to go and check that out. And that ends with the 16 uh, articles at the end, too. So There you go. Let's type in my name and Tom Woods in Iraq. You'll find it. Hey, i Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment, and the right to keep and bear arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Don't
1: you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing
0: Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America Lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel Lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. That's CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. All right, you guys. God, this Twitter, it's like I'm the lawnmower man and it's just downloading pure crap straight into my brain all day, every day. (sighs) uh yeah no i'm scott it's my show scott horton show and um i gotta talk politics with you here in a minute but uh first i gotta wrap up here about what the hell's my point complain about israel here and what's going on israel and the iraq war and all this stuff the syria war the point is look everybody daylight and you're not supposed to see it. It's sort of like with central banking. It's supposed to just be too confusing to care about. Like, you know what? I'm sure that when the Fed wakes up in the morning, they're raping us all day long, but what do you really want me to do? Learn a bunch of algebra and stuff in order to figure it out? Leave me alone. It's the same thing with the Middle East. Sunni Shia split here and there, and it's not even divided by national borders. It's all over the freaking place, and Tehran and Riyadh, and now i got to memorize the names of all these cities and all these different factions and just leave me alone. It's too much. But the thing of it is this, America's enemies, we have no state enemies anywhere in the world. The only other, you know, if you discount threats that are those who can simply resist our will but pose no actual threat to the U.S., that's kind of different, but. There are no states who oppose us anywhere in the world, and our only enemies are al-Qaeda and possibly the Islamic State, but uh, really al-Qaeda. And the only reason that al-Qaeda is our enemies is because we are too close of allies of their government, right? That's why they hate us so much, for propping up their kingdom that they don't want. And so... um, puts us on the same side of our enemies when it comes to the Sunni-Shia split and the regional civil war. And why does America prefer the Saudi-Sunni side of the sectarian? It's not, not that they're fighting over religion, they're fighting over power, but these are the dividing lines between the power factions, that's the point. And why is America on the side of the Sunnis, which include the Al-Qaeda suicide bomber shock troops in the Syrian war, for example, Um against the Shiites? And don't tell me it's because of the 1979 revolution, and the Americans still have such hurt feelings about that. It's because of Israel. Well, and I guess, you know, Saudi too, but still. Any economist, well... Any capitalist economist could tell this government that we don't need the Saudis. You know, as bin Laden himself said, assuming he was the caliph, he said, what are we going to do, drink it? It's going to be for sale anyway. We're just not going to let you set the price. That's all. But anyway, he wouldn't be able to set the price either. It's a global market. As David Stockman, whenever I read David Stockman say this, I can tell that he's basically screaming as he types it out. The cure for high prices is high prices. What are you, people completely illiterate or what? Oh, the price of oil is going up? Good. Then it'll be profitable for people to invest in coming up with new sources of supply and drive the price back down again. (laughs) And what planet are we living on here where America's got to support the Saudi kingdom no matter what? And anyway, um, and yeah, it does have a lot to do with it. But mostly, I mean, look at the Washington, D.C. think tanks. Are they all fronts for the Saudis? No. I guess Brookings is a front for Qatar. (laughs) Well, and Israel these days. But no, it's all Israel, man. It's Israel. The American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, the American Enterprise Institute... The John Hay Initiative, which is just the new project for a new American century. The Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs. The Center for Security Policy. And a million more of them. I can't even memorize them all anymore. All of the little wannabe clones of the Council on Foreign Relations. And the Council on Foreign Relations, too. Has Max Boot and Elliot Abrams and all of these freaks. And... They're the ones who decide on the consensus, and their interest is Israel. As, uh, and you know what? It's great that we have um, uh, Philip Weiss because he's such a great resource. The Mondo Weiss blog, if you go to the Mondo Weiss blog, you can find uh, extremely apt and exact and, I think, shocking quotes of Norman Podhoritz and Irving Kristol, two of the grandfathers of the neoconservative movement. Two of the most important, you know, leaders of the neoconservative movement in previous times uh, saying, and I think both of these quotes would be from the 1970s, that their primary interest in keeping America as an engaged global power, a.k.a. evil empire, is to protect Israel. That whether the argument is about, oh, no, Japan is going to be the new rising power again and take over the world. Remember that in the at the end of the Cold War? The, oh, no, Japan again. Or whatever the argument is. It doesn't matter what the argument is. Keep America engaged, even if it's issues that have absolutely nothing to do with Israel at all. Because we just got to make sure that enough different factions in America are interested in still having this navy. etc. So that comes down to it. America is there to protect Israel. And now I guess if you care most about Israel, then that's great. But if you care most about America, well, then it's not. Because here they have, for example, America fighting on the side, America's government fighting on the side of the American people's enemies against Israel's enemies. And I got the quote right here. Barack Obama's treason, it's right here. It's not because he's a secret Muslim who hates America and is trying to undermine America for the, uh, for the gain of Islamic fundamentalist, terrorist, whatever, whatever. It's about Israel. Obama is not Osama, he's Ronald Reagan. Or worse, Bill Clinton. Goldberg. Goldberg. Mr. President, can you just talk about Syria as a strategic issue? Talk about it as a humanitarian issue as well. Oh, yeah, no, don't forget that. But it would seem to me that the only way to weaken and further isolate Iran is to remove or help remove Iran's only Arab ally, President Obama to Jeffrey Goldberg, in the Atlantic. Absolutely. Goldberg, And so the question is, what else can this administration be doing? Obama. Well, look, there's no doubt that Iran is much weaker now than it was a year, two years, three years ago. The Arab Spring, as bumpy as it has been, represents a strategic defeat for Iran. (laughs) What? Because what people in the region have seen is that all the impulses toward freedom and self-determination and free speech and freedom of assembly have been constantly violated by Iran. Well, that's much as true, I guess. The Iranian leadership is no friend of that movement toward human rights and political freedom. So, anyway, that's a completely fluff answer, basically. Uh, But more directly, the Arab Spring is now engulfing Syria, Obama says. And Syria is basically their only true ally in the region. And it is our estimation, again, it's 2012, Barack Obama in the Atlantic, talking to Corporal Goldberg, explaining America's Syria policy. In fact, I'm sorry, let me get the the correct date so we even know what part of 2012 this is, because I forget. It's March 2012, spring 2012. Okay? And it is our estimation that President Bashar al-Assad's days are numbered. It's not a matter of if, but when. Now, can we accelerate that? We're working with the world community to try to do that. It is complicated by the fact that Syria is a much bigger, more sophisticated and more complicated country than Libya, for example. The opposition is hugely splintered. And although there's unanimity within the Arab world at this point, internationally, countries like Russia are still blocking potential UN mandates or action. And so what we're trying to do, and the Secretary of State just came back from helping to lead the Friends of Syria group in Tunisia is to try to come up with a series of strategies that can provide humanitarian relief, but can also accelerate a transition to a peaceful and stable Syrian government. If that happens, it will represent a profound loss for Iran. Is there anything you could do to move it faster? Goldberg asks. Well, nothing that I can tell you because your classified clearance isn't good enough. Ha 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 ha. Hey I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey y'all, Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MastersamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MastersamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MastersamuraiTech.com. God dang heartbreaks, man. I just barely heard the music. I thought I had enough time. I didn't have enough time. Obama explaining to Jeffrey Goldberg in the Atlantic in March of 2012. So what we're trying to do, and the Secretary of State, and he's referring to Hillary Clinton, just came back from helping to lead the Friends of Syria group in Tunisia is to try to come up with a series of strategies that can provide humanitarian relief. But they also can accelerate a transition to a peaceful and stable and representative Syrian government. Uh, Keyword transition there. If that happens, Obama says, that will be a profound loss for Iran. Right? Now, Goldberg, remember, in his question said, Oh yeah, by the way, don't forget to mention, you know, how much you care about the people and how it's all humanitarian. So, oh yeah, um, yeah, humanitarian relief. But anyway, yeah, the point, this is all about Iran. Why does America want to get rid of the government in Damascus? Because it'll help to weaken Iran. Goldberg, is there anything you could do to move it faster? Obama. And then he blows the joke. The joke is I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. That's the joke. And instead he says, well, nothing I could tell you because your classified clearance isn't good enough. Ha ha ha. But what he means there is, yes, the CIA is working with the American government uh, led by the CIA is working with the Saudis, the Qataris and the Turks to fund an army of terrorists. Osama Bin Laden loving terrorists to overthrow the government of Damascus. Because that's what Israel wants. Because Iran. This is, Obama says, uh, this is part of, by the way, the context in which we have to examine our approach toward Iran, because at a time when there's not a lot of sympathy for Iran and it's only real allies on the ropes, do we want a distraction in which suddenly Iran can portray itself as a victim and deflect attention from what has to be the core issue, which is their potential pursuit of nuclear weapons? Yeah, good point. Um, And uh, not the way he makes it, but he brings up a good point. He was right in the middle of working to negotiate an agreement with Iran on their nuclear program. And as we discussed with Gareth yesterday, not really bring them in from the cold, but to sort of, kind of, right? If not diplomatically, lifting the sanctions and allowing them to sell their oil on the world market again is, you know, de facto reintegration of Iran into the international system such as it is, and I guess in somewhat limited ways, but, you know, that's why this whole thing is uh, so ridiculous and contradictory. Uh, Bush invades Iraq for Iran, benefits Iran and Osama too. Uh, Osama gets the western half of the country, uh, the Ayatollah, the east, and then Bush says, oops, I screwed up, or somebody told him, Bush, you screwed up, you stupid ass. So he said, okay, so now we'll do the redirection and we'll go back toward doing whatever the Saudis want, which is backing the rebellion, the sunni base insurgency in Iraq and all over and across the rest of the region in order to limit Iran. Obama comes in. The first thing he does is wish the Iranians Happy New Year and call Iran the Islamic Republic of Iran for the first time ever that anybody paid them that respect since 1979. And... It's true the Israelis sabotaged his sort of half-assed attempts at a nuclear deal in 2009, but I think he could have pushed it anyway if he really wanted to push it. I think he really didn't. Um, But he did know all along that by the end of his presidency, at least, he wanted a nuke deal. And to, you know, to take war off the table. And which is, hey, compared to a permanent gun to their head for the last 40 years, um, you know, that is a peace deal. But at the same time, uh, and maybe because of that, he's got to do this as a sop, just like the war in Yemen, as a sop to the Saudis. He does this for the Israelis and the Saudis. Maybe... Uh, I can't reinvade Iraq and give Baghdad back to the Sunnis. <laughs> but maybe I can kind of, you, know, um, you know, compensate for Bush's error in Iraq by getting rid of Assad in Syria. Would that make you happy, Netanyahu? Would you shut up then? And there it is. So, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe you do need to memorize... Who's who in the Middle East? Who's on whose side? It's really pretty easy, right? The Shiites rule Iran. Not that everybody in Iran is one, but they're the ones with the political power there. And then their axis, their alliance, the so-called Shiite Crescent, is them, Iraq, because of America and their invasion and occupation of 2003 through 11, is uh, Baghdad, Iraq. Damascus, Syria, and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. That's the Shiite Crescent. And then everybody else is the Saudis, the rest of the Gulf Cooperation Council, the Israelis, the Turks, the Jordanians, and the Islamic State. <laughs> and America's on the side of the Islamic State, the same when they're bombing. Well, and they're also on this still fighting for the Iranians in Iraq against the Islamic State too. Isn't that fun? They're never going to get this all worked out. I guess they don't need to. But anyway, from the point of view of the American people, basically any of us who are not part of the Israel lobby, uh, you could sort of see how the national interest in, of America and the national interest of Israel are quite different. I mean, never mind the fact that the national interest of Israel, as determined by their government, is completely ridiculous and stupid and that uh you know any peacenik in america has a better sense of israel's national interest than the people in charge of that country but you know that aside it's it's certainly a, uh, a truth that uh the american people's interest limiting the power and influence of al qaeda in the world um is uh quite contrary to israel's interest which is To increase the power and influence of Al Qaeda to the detriment of Iran at all costs. Again, Washington Post today. The YNET website is a disaster. There's so many pop-ups. It might even crash your browser depending how many ad blockers you got on there. It's a disaster. It's worse than the Washington Times. YNET news, but you can find it at the Washington Post as well. And if you get blocked by some kind of paywall or login crap or anything, just go to Google News first and you can get it through there. Israeli defense minister. If I had to choose between Iran and ISIS, I'd choose ISIS. Yeah, well, and therefore, so would America, too. That's how we got into this mess. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Israel's interests being opposite from America's, at least as determined, well, by simple morality, but also... America's political governments for the last 40 years, Israeli opposition leader, 50 years, Israeli opposition leader, two-state solution, impossible, urges government to wall off as many Palestinians as possible. This is Jason Ditz writing at news.antiwar.com, and this is the leader of the Zionist Union, which is the center-left. Does labor even exist anymore in Israel? I don't know, but there certainly are no libertarian parties. And, um, and anyway, they're, yeah, just call the whole thing off. There's nobody left to fight for peace over there except like Yuri Avnery and, uh, uh, Amira Haas. <laughs> you know, two columnists and, uh, Bet and the, the Christian peacemakers. And that's about it. Israeli opposition leader and the pe- Christian peacemakers are Europeans and Americans, right? Israeli opposition leader. Forget it. Go ahead and uh, I, I don't know if he says, you know, annex at all, but just wall off the Palestinians the best you can and settle the rest. Belongs to us now. Erect a big wall between us. Wall in as many, quote, as many Palestinians as possible as quickly as possible. This is the leader of the opposition coalition. This is against the American people's interest. All you have to do is check the book Perfect Soldiers, the biography of the Hamburg cell of 9-11 hijackers by Terry McDermott and see why it was that they were willing to be pilots in kamikaze missions against the United States of America. It was because of this is because America pays for all of this. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage Inc has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Robertson at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism vs. Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism Versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, y'all, welcome back. I'm Scott, and it's my show, Scott Horton Show. Our guest today is Kelly B. Vlejos, writer for the American Conservative Magazine. This one is called When Money Can't Buy an Army. Welcome back to the show. Kelly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great. Appreciate you joining us again on the show, and... I'm sorry, it's the same story, different year here. But you do such a great job covering the Afghan War, and uh, it just keeps going on. So, I guess we got to talk about, uh, you know, the, the current status, and then you know, I'll meet you back here in a couple of months for the same thing again. Yeah. Um, right how goes the surge working, or whatever? I don't know uh, where <laughs> do you want to start here.
1: Well, I think what uh, had really piqued my interest in this story, well, there on, on two fronts. One is uh trickling news that the Taliban has gained more ta- territory in Afghanistan um than it has since 2001 when it was when we first went in there and you know supposedly toppled the Taliban driving it from its strongholds um I this was a little known factoid that had come out in a foreign policy uh, dot com piece a couple of weeks ago uh with little fanfare Uh, Because, you know, of course, where, you know, the mainstream media is just so swept up in in the presidential elections, like every four years, that they don't pay attention to any any substantial news anymore. But anyway, so the, the Taliban has, you know, basically secured it for itself more territory than in 2001, on one hand. And on the other, the Afghan army, the security forces that we poured $65 billion into building, is unable and in many cases unwilling to take on the Taliban. So it was able, it, you know, it, it, that resulted in the ceding of all of this territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it hasn't been without a cost, uh, a human cost, because as, as it turns out that um, they've lost, you know, something like twice as many uh, uh, men uh, this, in 2015 alone than, than the Americans have in the whole 13 years that they uh, that we've been there in Afghanistan. So that tells you right there that there has been a huge casualty count on behalf of these Afghan uh, army and, and, and police forces that has not been reported in and, and the U.S. mainstream news. So that that basically piqued my interest because, you know, as we go along and, and Obama has pro- pledged to keep more uh, forces, U.S. forces in beyond the deadline, I think it's something like you know, uh, 10,000 until 2017 or 2016, you know, it's implicit that we have to stay there because the Afghan army can't hold uh, the territory, can't beat back the the Taliban sufficiently without our help. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think it's been really examined how bad it is there. So I wanted to write a piece about why um, and what I've discovered over time and and just going through the, the public documents that are available is that, you know, there really wasn't a sh- sure footing by the Afghan um, training or military training effort uh, in the entire 13 years we've been there. It's, it's like I call it in the piece, a, a Potemkin village um, that's been set up by the military, Congress, and the, and the media to, to sort of uh, portray this as an ongoing and almost successful effort. Well, it's never been successful um, it's it's always been on, on the on, on the brink of a failure, um, and we've been told otherwise because they needed the money, they needed the resources, and after sixty five billion dollars, there's not much to show for it. Right,
0: man, and so and you're right, I mean, and again, you know, back to the whole uh, Groundhog Day nature of this is this is something that we've covered all along too. That these recruits, right. they show up, they get a rifle, a little bit of money, maybe a pair of shoes, and then they're gone because the U.S., uh, what's the counterfactual, right? Like, in, in what universe would they join up really to be all they can be and defend and fight for their country and all these things? We would have, the U.S. occupation would have had to create a new nation there that all these different factions could really believe in and want right. to defend from any who would tear it down. And that's a complete and total laugh and and we're a million miles from that, and I don't even know if they were really even trying to do that. They sure as hell didn't succeed in it, and nobody ever really thought that they did. did they?
1: Uh, I, I'm not sure i I don't I can't talk to there's no nobody to talk to today that would actually try to defend the statement that there is a is a, is a working viable Afghan nation um, for these uh, security forces to fight for. And as I said in the story towards the end, I say, you know, uh, that is that is the foundational problem here is that we always assumed that being the U.S. government, always assumed that it could impose this Western style template upon Afghanistan uh, without taking into consideration the ethnic, the the sectarian, the tribal uh, makeup of that country. So you're expecting a Western style military to emerge out of, of what is really a tribal a tribal uh, country, a, 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 tri- a tribal place. So mm-hmm. what happened here is that we kept pouring money and pouring money into a sieve because there really wasn't the, 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 the elements of success, the foundation of success was not there, and that was to, to take in consideration what was good for Afghanistan, what was good, what would have worked. Um, in Afghanistan, in terms of a national security approach, mm-hmm. and so what we just did is just hoped and prayed that uh, money was going to make it better and more and more U.S. advisors and you and more contractors on the ground, and and that and that hasn't happened. And and just just yesterday there was a report um, in uh, Reuters. Reuters reported that some one third of the Afghan security forces had to be replenished and fifth. 15- 2015 meaning they're all green because of desertion because of casualties you know um, that's that's amazing and you know it's not all you know you know sometimes uh, the, the instinct is to blame the Afghans that they're not up to the task that they're they're not fighters that they're they're just you know they're shirking their duties they're walking off the job they don't have right. the ethic but you know in many if you look at it these guys are being paid pennies and they're expected to deal in conditions that our troops have had um, difficulty uh, serving in, but with the difficulty, all of the advanced equipment, all of the training, all of the support system that the United States brings to bear, mm-hmm. where these guys are just like, you know, they're they're basically swinging in the breeze. They're asked to to do multiple tours of the, of duty, so to speak. Uh, without real compensation for it, so you kind of don't blame them for walking off and saying, "Hey, I want to go see my family." Right? You know, so it's there's both sides here. You know, and um, you know, one third—that's that's a lot of people to to, to to expect to just take on the challenge after right. being new and green.
0: Well, and as you say here uh, in your article, you're quoting this AP piece from just a couple of days before saying that 40% of them don't even exist at all right. so yeah, the ones that, that are is, there yeah, are basically kids so yeah and well I so mean, now you know what i wonder though man when i read that the 40% wow. hey that's a yeah. lot yeah now and th- this is the same military that told us oh kandahar yeah no nah, we're not worried about kandahar yeah there've been a couple of taliban attacks here and there but yeah we're not worried about that and then uh the taliban sacked the whole city and they lost it again, but still, yeah. that was just a couple of months ago. And I'm thinking, you know, these uh, these generals seem to do a lot of whistling past the graveyard here. And I wonder, and I'm no military strategist or anything, but I wonder whether the 10,000 guys and the couple hundred drones they got over there are enough. Um, or whether they're really counting on this ghost army to fight with in the event of some kind of full Taliban assault on Kabul or something like that. Right.
1: You oh, know? absolutely! Maybe I mean, our guys know.
0: could really get caught out here.
1: Well, yeah, and it, it, just a couple weeks ago, I think now um, there was that case in, and forgive me if I'm wrong. I want to say it was Marja. You know the you know the government in the box, Marja. Uh-huh. Just a few years ago, we our troops did get caught, right? And it took them about 15 to 20 hours to get them out of there, and they were special forces. So, yeah, they can get caught, and if we don't have enough air, uh, air support, close air support, to go in there in these times of, you know, in, in the clutch, you know, they, yeah, we could be putting our guys in the harm's way as well. All
0: right. Now, hold it right there, everybody. We've got to take this break. We'll be right back with the great Kelly B. Vallejos writing at the American Conservative magazine, theamericanconservative.com, when money can't buy an army. It's a great piece. Hey, i all Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF Founder and President Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there. ScottHorton.Liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still. If you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. All right, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton, talking about the Afghan War with the great Kelly Velejos from the American Conservative Magazine. When money can't buy an army is the article here. A great one. Uh, We'll be running it on antiwar.com. Probably the spotlight tomorrow. Uh, Right. Uh, So, gotta make sure and hit the right button here so we can talk some more. Um, Now. the surge is long over. It's uh 2016 and we're down to uh 10,000 men or so with I think a couple thousand more uh uh NATO troops, I guess Germans and not Frenchmen, right? I don't know who. Um a couple thousand more than that. Um and then so but we're talking about how the Afghan heart army kind of hardly exists and and I guess at the break we're sort of puzzling over you know whether the milit- whether the US military has based its plans for holding on for dear life in Afghanistan on the phony numbers of the Afghan army or the real numbers and the real strength of it uh to fight with and and uh Kelly in this article you quote uh, Anthony Cordsman uh who was i guess somewhat skeptical um foreign policy wonk in DC former Reagan administration official uh comparing this to Vietnam and talking about how surprising it was he says to the north vietnamese but i think he meant to the americans of just how easily the south vietnamese army folded as soon as the nva finally came down from the north
1: yeah and i think i think that was larry corb that was talking about uh who's who's the reagan uh, Reagan administration official that I talked to. I also talked to Anthony Kurtzman, but oh I'm um, sorry yeah. i I, no, I mixed okay. those I... guys
0: up. I think this is the first time just now I realize those are two different people, Corbin yeah. Corsman. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: No, well, you know, and they're kind of coming from the same perspective. They're they're in the the Washington think tank world, um, and definitely skeptical. And Larry Korb has been a good source of mine over the years, who was one of, sort of the first of, of the think tank guys that w- became skeptical uh, in these wars. But you know, he was in Vietnam, and and he did. He mentioned that you know this this is sort of like a deja vu all over again, so to speak. With you know leaving a country and saying, well, you know, we poured all millions of dollars, billions of dollars into your military. They look great on paper. See you later, and then they crumble um, like a cookie after we leave. And, and we saw that in Vietnam. But he's, you know, he was drawing these uh, comparisons to Afghanistan, but also Iraq. I mean, we. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking here is, as long as there is any inkling that there is an ISIS presence in Afghanistan. We won't be going anywhere, and they'll just keep pouring troops in there, little by little, just like in Iraq. I saw a piece in the paper today that Ash Carter has confirmed that we'll be putting more troops into Iraq mm-hmm. because um, the successful uh, clearing out of ISIS in Ramadi has, has signaled to the U.S. military that yes, we can. They can do this as long as they have you know U.S. assistance. So I, I believe as long as, as, as Afghanistan is considered part of the war on ISIS, or whatever they're calling it these days, um, that, that we won't be pulling out anytime soon, and they'll just keep pouring troops in there and and, and, and a soldier on, no pun intended, and, and trying to build this Afghan army, even though, like you pointed out, The AP says forty percent of them are they may be on the books, but they're not in existence on the ground. Uh So, well, and um, as you
0: point out, though the comparison to Iraq too, they've had their Fall of Saigon moment. They lost the entire western half of that country in the meantime, and because precisely because the American military, well, I don't know precisely this that, but sure seems like the military. Basically, we're going off of their script, their PR script meant for us that there's such a place as Iraq anymore, and that the government of Baghdad is the government of Iraq, and the Iraqi army is the Iraqi army, rather than recognizing the reality of what they created was an Iraqi Shi'istan army right. that was occupying Iraqi sunni and they really were in foreign territory. Patrick Coburn was on this show a year before the fall of Mosul saying that the Iraqi Shi'istan army, these guys are deserting their posts up in Mosul, because yep. it's like they're out in Fort Apache, out in enemy territory, and they don't have the support to be out there. And that was a year before the invasion and the fall of Mosul, so you can see how It it sure seems like at least they're basing their policy of how things are going to play out based on the lies that they tell us that they need, you know, to keep doing what they do rather than the reality of situations. So in other words, you take that same parallel back to Afghanistan, we could have real trouble with the Taliban here. If they're as powerful as they've been at any time since 2001, do we have any idea what's the ceiling on that at this point and when there's only 10,000 American soldiers there to oppose them?
1: and and absolutely not. I mean unless unless we're willing to go all out war, which is to put hundreds of thousands of US troops back in Afghanistan and just blowing places to the to bits, which we are not going to do because if we were going to do that, we would have done it in 2010 when and in, in 2011 and 2012 when uh, Crystal was asking for for twice as many troops I think it was during the the, the surge of Afghanistan. We're not going to do that. So what does that mean? That means we just have a forever war presence in Afghanistan, just holding it enough so that, you know, so that the Taliban doesn't take complete control over Kabul and the Afghan government. But, I mean, how long does that last? I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's been 13 years already, and I don't see any end of that. And I don't see any end end of our presence in Iraq, if anything, that it's growing and growing Mm -hmm. because we haven't created a stable Uh, society there, the way that was sold, like you said, sold to the rest of us, that we were creating stable societies in either of these countries, and with them, a security force able to sustain the peace when we leave. That's not happened.
0: Right. Yeah, and I don't want to sound too alarmist about, you know, a big black swan type event here when the status quo is horrible enough that if, if they're just going to have to stay forever in order to prevent the obvious you know ultimate outcome when they leave 25 or 30 or 40 years from now and we have the same damn thing happen uh with the taliban or their grandsons taking over or whatever it is they just can't declare victory and leave because it'll be too embarrassing when a week later they lose but now uh oh and we're almost out of time i'm sorry let me ask you one more thing here Uh, the best i understand it is they really kind of created two different armies here. The police for Pashtunistan and the Iraqi, I mean, pardon me, the Afghan army for the rest of the place. Um, and I wonder whether it's, and I, and I think you mentioned this in the article, whether it's basically the same thing when we talk about 40% are ghosts and, and whatever other percent are green and, and this and that kind of thing. Is it basically the same story, whether we're talking about the army or the so-called police forces here?
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you either way. And I would, I would, I would, um, Hesitate to, to 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 say, you know, that I, I knew any better in terms of drilling down on the details. Um, I do know that there is a difference, and I hope this was conveyed in my story that you have the Afghan National Police, mm-hmm. the Afghan National Army, and then you have this the local constabular, constabularies, the Afghan uh, local police that we created, which is another mess that you and I have talked about many times on mm-hmm. this show. So, um, and they're separate from the police. And so there, I mean, that could have probably been the best recipe for success because there are local police um, that had been raised up locally. But because we meddled in who was going to lead them, we ended up putting, you know, and I say we, you know, the the military end up putting in many cases warlords, militia men, and real evil people in charge of these places, which has caused a whole other problem for another show. Right. Um and, and I'm sure and and those I'm sure those are are humming along it's just with probably the wrong people in charge.
0: Right. Yeah, I always like to take the opportunity to recommend the documentary This is what victory looks like that Vice News put together I guess oh, a yeah. couple of years ago where it's like a scene out of Catch 22 or something where the sergeant is basically just crawling out of his own skin at, at how upset he is at who it is he is made to fight for here, or the lowest scum of the earth, these child rapist, warlord, murderers. And then when the captain or whoever it is that comes with the fancy shirt, he has to... Play along like, oh yes, sir, everything's going great, and not dare say a word to his superior about what's really going on here, and just swallow hard and carry on. And it's just this is this is what victory looks like. Oh man, I think that's how you're supposed to enunciate the title of that thing, yeah, with with a question mark and italics. Like, oh my God, this is what America's project is in the world right now. Is this? It's just insane.
1: Yeah, and I think and and somebody had pointed out to me and I I think you you know, it was Anthony Cordesman, it said, you know, you expect these guys to go over there, they they spend a year, uh maybe a little more, they come back and you really expect them to start saying how terrible they did, you know, that they didn't achieve what they set out to do. That things, you know, things are a, a lot more nuanced, shaded, you know, falling in the toilet than than you know, than the uh paymasters at home believed. You know, so you know, it's been this constant battle where the truth it never gets out, and Daniel Dan- Davis had talked about this, where the generals just gave this rosy picture of what mm-hmm. was going on, but it was happening, you know, uh, down, the, down the, the, the chain of command. Nobody wanted it to, to really come home and say, we're failing over there. Mm-hmm. I didn't do so well.
0: Yeah, partisan politics really screwed the population on this, too, because the Republicans don't want to criticize the military and the Democrats don't want to criticize the president. And so, you know, the entire left of America just pretended that the Afghan surge and the rest of it never even happened. Yeah. So that was major criticism that just went lacking for years. Right, exactly. And Democrats, of
1: course, are afraid to look soft on the military not you know um, amply supportive right. of the of the military so yeah there was all sorts of uh, of, of elements working against the truth in this regard
0: yep for it so hey listen you do great journalism thank you so much for writing and for coming on my show oh, Kelly thank I appreciate
1: God I appreciate that
0: all right y'all that is the great Kelly B Vleyejos read her at the American conservative magazine when money can't buy an army we'll be right back Hey, I'll Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. If this nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone, we are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at ScottHorton.org or TheWarState.com. Hey, I'm Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pinati, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all, QR Silver Commodity Discs, the first ever QR code one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at commoditydiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at slash commodity discs. And thanks. All right, kids. Welcome back. Yeah, I recorded into the break there. I know it must sound terrible for you live listeners to just have the music get louder and louder and then just cut the person off in the middle of a word. And what? But what am I going to do, man? I'm going to interrupt my guests and say – well, I do sometimes, but sometimes I don't. All right. Anyway. Isn't that funny that I never realized that Anthony Kordsman and the other one, Corb – what's Corb's first name? That they were different people from each other? <laughs> oh, man. Uh I guess that happens to me sometimes. Um, uh. Larry Corb, it? oh, it's Lawrence Corbin, Anthony Kordsman. That's what it is, Lawrence Corbin. Well, I don't know. <laughs> they both don't they both seem like yeah, they're kind of critics, but not too reliable, and they're, yeah, some insightful things to say, but not really friends of ours. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. All right, so I got to talk about politics. I'm sorry, I did think this is funny. Uh, Peter King. Need I say, of all people, Representative Peter King calls Ted Cruz a fraud and a demagogue. And when asked would he support him as the Republican nominee, I'll jump off that bridge when I come to it. (laughs) I like that. That's funny. Of course, Peter King is a fraud and a demagogue, you know, par excellence and bar none and whatever the hell not to be outdone in any sense. This is the guy who continues to repeatedly lead these uh House committees on Muslim activities and all this crap. Uh, a former supporter of the IRA during their bombing days. Uh, so I don't know what's his beef with Cruz, man. If they had a fight over a hooker one night or what. But uh, it's still funny. We'll jump off that bridge when we get to it here. Um, and then wouldn't that be funny too to see Peter King jump off a bridge, particularly a really high, dangerous, scary one without a bungee cord? All right, calories, uh, uh Fitz. Oh, uh, that would have been Marcy. Fitz, that would have been Marcy. Uh, Kelly writes for the American Conservative magazine, used to have that regular column at antiwar.com, and she lives in D.C. Marcy is um, a liberal, progressive type. I, I don't mean to say liberal in a bad way. She's great. Uh, she's some sort of progressive and I believe lives in Michigan, if you follow her football tweets and stuff. Um, she's a Midwestern gal and leans left. And is, and, and Marcy is the one who is the legal analyst, uh, without rival, uh, when it comes to parsing all these documents and telling us what everything means. And, and of course specializes in all the high tech stuff, the NSA spying and all the legalities behind it and around it, et cetera. Whereas, uh, Kelly B. Vallejos is primarily a critic of the Afghan war more than anything else, I think. Um, but she's a great anti-war lady and and is really good on this stuff. So um and believe me I've suffered the same problem. Fitz is having the same problem I had with Kordsman and Corb here. Wait, which one's which again? I I still don't know which one is which. I guess it's not exactly the same problem. I thought they were the same guy. I didn't even realize those were different names. <laughs> Um, until they were together in one place like that today. And even then, when I read the article, it didn't even impress me that it, she was switching sources that she was quoting. It wasn't until she corrected me when I when I got it wrong in the interview. Anyway, Fitz had a problem with their voices. These things happened, but now we know. Marcy, uh, the, the uh, legal and uh, technical... Spying analyst, Kelly Vallejo, oh, left leaning, did I say? And Kelly Vallejo, see conservative leaning uh, anti com writer, great critic of the counterinsurgency doctrine, and interviewer of GN Gentile and all this stuff. Debunker of the coin. All right. Um, so, oh, yeah, I was going to talk about stupid politics. Uh,. I hate stupid politics. I don't want to talk about stupid politics. Okay, but I got to because there's some important things here. I'm not a partisan. I, I favor no candidates in this race whatsoever. None of them, not even a libertarian or anybody. So don't anyone confuse anything I say with uh, support de facto for the supposed opposite or anything like that. That's my stupid disclaimer. Um But what I want to talk about is what's – oh, no, no, it's okay, Fitz, don't worry. Uh, what I want to talk about, though, is that um, uh, I want to give the American people credit. I, I think it's great in a way that the American people back Trump and Sanders. Now, I know what you're saying, but those guys are the furthest right and the furthest left, mostly in the worst ways. Uh, not in better ways, but in worse ways than the establishment. You know, Sanders is just as much of a warmonger as Hillary. Well, nah, but he's pretty damn bad. I mean, you really cannot give him credit on foreign policy. He's horrible on foreign policy, and he's worse on economics. And, uh, you know, you could say the same thing about Trump on the right. He's worse on foreign policy in at least some ways. And who knows, man, if he really was the one with the power, I don't know what he would do. And on economics, he's completely out of his mind. And I I would encourage you, by the way, go to antiwar.com slash blog or stop by my Twitter feed slash Scott Horton Show and look at Ron Paul's um, uh, video from yesterday about the importance of free trade and the insanity of Trump's foreign policies when it comes to uh, trade protectionism and this kind of stuff. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. They are worse on those things. Mostly there. You know what? Both of them are better on some things, too. Like, you got to admit, Trump is not a complete, you know, neocon uh, bag like Marco Rubio, who puts Israel first on every single thing uh, in that way. And even Sarah Palin in her insane rambling thing yesterday, what she supported about Trump, she may have said something about, yeah, kick ISIS ass, but she also said, and he doesn't want to get us bogged down in a bunch of stupid no-win wars, fighting these civil wars between Sunni and Shia and all these things forever. That's a waste of our lives and a waste of our money. And right, hitting a little bit of right-wing anti-war spirit there, man. Keep our sons home. We're tired of this crap. That is an appealing argument on the right now. Now, it's very important not to give credit to Palin. It's important that we note that even she understands this is what the right wants to hear right now. They want to keep the one son that George Bush left him and not lose him to Jeb. And if Trump, you know, can promise to knock the hell out of him with air power and not risk our guys, then that would be great. They're certainly not sad about bombing Mosul off the face of the earth, the conservatives. But they don't want to lose another 4,500 American boys to do it. They don't. And that's the point that I'm really trying to get to, is the people of the country, never mind political ideology, liberal or more liberal, the progressives or the the populist right conservatives or the libertarians no man. What we're talking about here is just everyday people who don't have coherent political ideologies or even an interest in having one who just, they feel, they know the government hates us and is out to get us. That power in America is not here to represent us to provide security for us. They are our enemy. The establishment, the center, the banks, the corporations, the Congress, they are all a conspiracy against the American people. They don't care about us. They don't care about us at all. And finally... The American people are starting to get it. They're finally starting to understand. And that's the appeal of Sanders and Trump. Right? Sanders is not the cool black guy like Obama was. That's not his advantage over Hillary. He's just not Hillary. Hillary is the, the establishment center. And he's running against it. And that's why the people are flocking to him. You see, he's up by 20-something points in New Hampshire right now. Hey, I'll guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. Hey i will Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. Alright, y'all, welcome back. So, look, it's the same thing in 08, right? With, uh, Obama. And that was the appeal of Ron Paul, too. Uh, not that he got the nomination on the right. They're a lot better with dirty tricks on the right, but, um, uh, the right, they weren't ready for Ron <laughs> anyway. I guess I'll concede that. Um, but that was the reason for the support for Obama on the right. It was, I mean, on the left, it wasn't just that, um, He was a cool black guy. It was that he was not Hillary. She was big brother and he was, you know, the new guy. And, uh, and that was a huge part of it. Now, of course, the truth was for those of us with the ability to actually discern, he's nothing but a clone of her in every way. And if you look, you know, at the debate stage in 07 and 08, there was Gravel and Kucinich were the two actual decent human beings up there. And then there were the other three who were all three Hillary Clinton. Hillary, Obama, and John Edwards, who were all three Hillary Clinton. And, but, but the image, of course, was that he was a a different choice from her and that was a huge thing that he had going for him and now we see just how huge uh because here's this you know 70 something year old bald jewish guy who you know doesn't even comb his hair and and is not cool or hip or trendy in any way other than he the fact that he seems authentic Right. He doesn't have a better voting record than her. His ideas about how the way things work are at least as flawed as hers, although probably in a little bit different ways, but not too different. Um, but who he's not her. He represents something outside as, as anyone on the left could tell just by, you know, in the most, you know, kind of dumbed down, uh impression-based sense, you know? Uh what What's the imagery here? The imagery here is she's the establishment power awaiting for her coronation, and he is from the outside, even though he's a longtime senator and whatever. He's an independent. He calls himself a socialist. And he's coming from the outside to say, not so fast. I think that uh, we don't have to do it this way. We should do it, you know, this more people-oriented way rather than establishment-oriented way. And and people are buying it because, again, they know the truth that Hillary Clinton is their enemy and that the banks that she represents, the arms manufacturers that she represents, the foreign countries' governments that she represents don't have the interests of the American people at heart. Why would they and why would she? Uh, they can see that. And it's the same thing with Donald Trump. They say that basically the argument is, now this guy is enough of a self-centered bastard that I know that he doesn't work for anyone else. He only works for himself. And they know he's a New York billionaire, which, if they thought about it, means that, yeah, he knows some bankers on a first-name basis, all right. But he seems like enough of a narcissist when he says... Oh, my company, I'm just going to let my kids run it, and I'm not going to pay any attention to it. They're going to have a great time, and I'm sure they'll do fine, but I don't care about that. I only care about trying to do what's best for the country. I already have my success, and I'm, and nothing I do as president will have my financial or or other professional future beyond the presidency in mind at all. Don't care about that. Only care about you. That's believable when he says that. That he would do that. He's already got his billions of dollars. He doesn't have to go and you know give Lockheed a hand job so that he can have a uh, you know go give speeches to Goldman Sachs like Bill Clinton for the rest of his life in order to pay his rent. Uh, and so it it comes across as authentic. He's a horrible, mean son of a bitch, but he's outside of the center of power. He's something else than the center of power, and that's enough. That's enough. He says to people, they don't care about you. You know that, but I do. And they go, yeah. It doesn't matter that he's an insane, lunatic, violent, you know, avowed torturer, aggressive warfare monger, sabotager of all international trade, and, you know, holds nothing but contempt for the idea of freedom, if he ever even heard of it in his life. Freedom? What is freedom? He never even mentioned it once. I, I don't think, if you Google... You know, freedom or liberty and Donald Trump. I don't think you'll find anything ever, not a mention ever, because it's just not on his radar. It's not what he's about. It's not what he talks about. And it really makes me sad that Ron Paul ain't 15, 20 years younger right now. Get up there and kick everybody's ass. We don't need a left wing demagogue and we don't need a right wing demagogue. We need freedom. We need peace and sound money and we need to abolish say i don't know all the executive agencies set the american people free and everything will be fine yeah people just don't like to hear that man they want to hear it is everything is terrifying as terrifying as you like feeling but don't worry i'm going to take care of it that's that's donald trump's every message more or less the same thing goes for uh, Sanders, once we get the right people in there, we're going to use the power of the state to make everything just right. And I don't know why that appeals to people more than freedom. I guess because they're stupid. I guess because they all went to government school. And so that's all they know. In fact, there are entire avowed schools of thought on the liberal side, that say, come on, the right to be left alone is nonsense anyway. The right of actually being free, that's on bull. You know, freedom means being able to participate in democracy. Freedom means that you can run for office and participate in the totalitarian dictatorship, war of all against all. You can, you, one day you, could be on the county commissioner court And help to enslave your fellow man and dictate that they do this and do that or else. And one day, maybe you could even be a state senator. But the idea that you have the right to be free or that anybody has the right to be free from you, oh, come on, that's all silly and naive and quaint. Nobody believes that anymore. That's a real point of view. That's an avowed point of view. That's not just, you know, what people really think when they actually talk about freedom. That's, you know, that's an argument on the left. I've been reading, you know, it's a salon.com kind of point of view. Uh, that's getting more and more traction. And it'd be hard to argue that anybody around here knows what freedom actually looks like. You know? Uh We don't. And it seems scary to most people when you start talking about repealing things. You know, the the assumption is we wouldn't have, the democracy wouldn't have come up with all these laws and rules and regulations if they weren't necessary. And so trying to undo them is trying to go backwards to some barbarian gilded age of laissez-faire, whatever, nightmare. I don't know how to break through these narratives, man. I try, but, uh, you know, Angela sent me one this morning <laughs> from the Daily Coast where they go, Oh my God, look everyone, the conspiracy has been uncovered. That the Cokes, not recently, but actually ever since the 70s, have been bankrolling libertarianism. Oh my God, did you know that? Uh, yeah... That's not a secret conspiracy, dude. Everybody knows that. And the story, of course, is they abandoned libertarianism for conservatism back in the 1980s. They do still bankroll the Institute for Libertarian or No, 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 that's different. Uh, the Institute for Humane Studies and the Reason Foundation, Reason Magazine, of course, and the Cato Institute. Um, but when it comes to their politics, they support the Republican Party. They're all about it. Um, you know, they do some good things on criminal justice and on peace. There's a piece by uh, Scott McConnell in the American Conservative Magazine right now about a forum that they held for, you know, prominent anti-interventionists like Andrew Basevich and those types, uh, that just took place recently. You can read Scott McConnell all about that at the American Conservative Magazine. And, um and then anyway, they, they try to bring up the Hitler youth here and say that, yeah, the Kochs and, and not, not even the cokes, people that they were associated with, they're just like the Nazis. And what do they have in tr- in common with the Nazis? National socialism? No, they wanted to create youth groups. You know, like Young Americans for Liberty. And, you know, that, you know, like the Hitler youth, dude hell-bent on repealing and decentralizing power. Oh, my God! It's just like the Third Reich. And I'm not the biggest fan of the Kochs, because, again, they're conservatives. But as far as oligarchs goes, they're not Citigroup and they're not Lockheed. And to think the worst thing about them is that they care about freedom. Oh, my God, what might happen?